Well, it's a a great blessing, again, to uh, have each and every one of you here present with us. Um, For each one of you that's online as well, thank you very much. Those of you who are new with us today, thank you for taking this time. We pray that you're encouraged and you're blessed. I got to tell you, I find myself frustrated at things that I do periodically. I mean, I, I do a lot of dumb things, but one of the things that I get most frustrated with is when I make choices based upon um, kind of misplaced priorities. For example, I love March Madness. It's a great time of the year. Um, I love to sit there and watch basketball for days after days, but I, it, to be honest with you, there have been times over the last few years that because of March Madness, I've neglected my family a little bit, right? The priority of basketball, the priority of the family, sometimes they've lost out. Uh, another example is I, I have made some kind of dumb financial decisions in our married life simply because, you know, there was something I really wanted, something I wanted to buy, something that I thought was so important to me, something I wanted to do. Um, And so even though we didn't have the money, because I wanted it, and even though it didn't put my family before me, I made that particular choice. There are times where my priorities kind of get pushed to the side to do the very things that I want to do. Now, some of you know what I'm talking about here today. You're, at least the honest ones of you are willing to admit that you've done the same thing, right? I mean, we know what our priorities are. We know what's most important to us, but what happens? Well, you know, we really want that new car or that promotion at work, right? It's, we got to go after that with everything we have, or we want to have the nicest lawn in the neighborhood, or we want our kids to be involved in more things than our sisters involved, kids are involved in. You know, we want to be able to be the president of that particular club. Um, I mean, you name it. We know the right priorities, but then what happens? They kind of drift, right? They kind of become out of focus, and the selfish side of us kind of rises up and wins out over some of those um, priorities. Now, the last 14 months, um, COVID has been tragic. For I mean, you think about just in the United States alone. You know, over a half a million people die. You think about worldwide, just even what's going on in India right now. But in spite of the tragedy that we've faced, one of the things that I've heard over and over again from multiple families is how COVID has almost forced them to reevaluate priorities. It's almost forced them to have to take a step back to be able to look at their life. And I've heard, you know, stories after stories of families who have eaten together more than ever before, play games, do puzzles, where, you know, other priorities change, even about how people spend money and what they look at in regard to the future and some of those kind of things. And it's challenging at times. And yet it seems like when turmoil hits us in our life or an uncertain future or something that really just messes us up, it's almost like it helps us to reevaluate our priorities. In fact, it was just last Sunday, one of the ladies of our church just recently had major open heart surgery. And she was able to come back to church last Sunday. And one of the things she said is, you know what? It made me realize just how certain things are so important. 
And I, I bet many of you have experienced that same thing. Something happens in your life, and it's almost like this wake-up call for that particular moment. One of the questions that I um, most often ask at a funeral service that I'm doing is this question. If this was your funeral that we're conducting right now, what would you want your family, those closest to you, to stand up and say about you? Because there's nothing like the death of someone that kind of wakes us up to reality and causes us to refocus on our priorities. And I think God knows this about us. I think God knows that there are times where we kind of need a reality check, kind of a wake up to what is most important. And God is in charge of all things. God is in control, the past, the present, and equally the future. And God knows that there are certain things coming in our future in which if we don't do something about recognizing the need of priority changes in our life, well, we will be very unprepared for. What God wants us to understand is not only should we be thankful for the blessed life that we all have and we all enjoy right now, but that God wants us to know that there is more to this life. And so that's why we're in this series called The End, all right? That this life doesn't last forever. And what we're doing is, as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Luke, we're spending the whole year in the Gospel of Luke, what we're doing is looking at the teaching of Jesus. And there's quite a bit of teaching of Jesus about the future. Some of it is the immediate future for Jesus. Some of it is the far-off future for Jesus. But there's a lot that Luke writes about the words of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus. And it's all about helping us to have the right kind of priorities. And, and in regard to the teaching of Jesus about the future, specifically the end of time, you know, one, Jesus does that. He mixes present or soon-to-come future with far-off future. And so that makes it a little bit confusing. Um, all prophets, when they speak about end times or big events, they use what's called end-time language or apocalyptic language. It's just highly figurative language. An example of that, if you read Acts, the second chapter, which is Pentecost, that's actually today, but Acts the second chapter, Peter is quoting from Joel, and in that he's saying specifically what Joel wrote about is happening today, and the Spirit coming on, and the work of God, and the change of the covenants is happening, but he mentions some of this figurative language, things like, you know, the moon turning to blood, and all this kind of crazy things to describe this big event. So Jesus does that as well, and so you have to pay attention to that. But the other thing is this, the goal of Jesus in writing about end times event, events is not so that we would be able to know, okay, on May the 23rd, 2001, Jesus is going to come back on that day. The purpose of it is to help us focus on the right kind of priorities. And that's why the key question in this series is simply this, am I living, what, for this life or am I living for eternity? We all need to wrestle with that. Right now, in my life, and the way I look, am I living for this moment, only for this time, or am I living for eternity? And so last week we learned that when we seek this eternal perspective, right, that there's more to come, it really helps us to see what is real beyond just the the phony things that happen around us. But today, we're going to discover that to be a follower of Jesus as we move towards the end of time, 
the return of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus, that it's actually going to get more difficult for us as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ. But we can still be strong, and the reason is, is because we can trust in Almighty God, because God is in control of all things. God is in control of the past and the present and the future. And so today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 21, and so I want to encourage you to open your Bible or your phone or your tablet to Luke chapter 21. And again, if you want to use the Version app, you can even search for Wildwood Christian Church under events and find the, the outline there. For those of you online, I hope you turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 21. But here's where we're going today, and it is simply this, that strength comes from trusting in the eternal. We gain strength for the difficulties of this day when we put our trust in the right place, and that is in the eternal God, almighty God, who's ruling and who's reigning. So in Luke chapter 21, the setting that we have here is um, Jerusalem and the temple, all right? So that's where they're at. And what's going on here is um, they are watching people give offerings. And I thought, well, that'd be entertaining, wouldn't it? We'd bring that offering box up here to the front, and we'd just designate a time in the service, and everybody will start over here on this side, and you walk up one at a time, and we'll just all watch each other put in the offering there. And oh, by the way, you're supposed to announce how much you give when you put it in. Don't worry, we won't enact that in our service. But that's what Jesus and these guys are doing. And then one of the guys, somebody who's with Jesus, looks around and notices the temple and stuff, and here's what he says there in verse 5. Some of the disciples were, here it is, remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. So this beautiful, magnificent temple that had been built by God, right? Josephus, who was a historian in that day, said that some of the stones that they're referring to here, some of those stones were 40 feet by 12 by 18. 40 feet, if you go from that wall to right about where Lee is sitting, that's 40 feet. 12 would be from about that window to that door, and 18 would reach probably just around the bottom of those lights. That's one stone. I mean, this place, I mean, to look at it would say, Nothing is going to destroy this place. This is permanent. This is here forever. And that was a part of the Jews' pride, right? Temple, that's where God dwelled. That's where God's presence was. So when Jesus then, after they're remarking about that, when Jesus makes this comment in verse 6, he says, as for what you see here, referring to the temple and all of the stones, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. I mean, that would have been shocking. But you see, they, they struggle with and face the same thing that you and I struggle with. That so much of the stuff that we see around us on this earth that looks so permanent is anything but permanent. They, they saw the temple, which represented the presence of God, and they think it was all's well. God's good with us. God loves us. God's happy. And yet here's Jesus coming along and saying, uh, wait a minute. Judgment is coming. What you see standing here will not be remaining here. And I think that his words are warning to all of us. So this is that some of this stuff he's talking about is immediate future, 
But there's still words of warning for all of us that the things that we so think in life are permanent. Jesus is saying, look, make sure you're putting your trust in the right kinds of things. And so Jesus' words then ask, lead them to ask this question, verse 7, when will these things happen? I, I want to know that, wouldn't, wouldn't you? When will these things happen and what will be the sign that they're about to take place? And so we're going to look here at Jesus' answer to this. Matthew, in his parallel account, so there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three talk about this. But he kind of adds that part of their question was, and, you know, when are you going to come, Jesus, and what's going to be the signs of the end of age? But Jesus' answer, we'll look at it. The bottom line is this. Jesus is saying, look, God is in control. God's in charge. Make sure you're putting your trust in me. No matter what happens, if your trust is in me, then we're going to be good. So what can we expect according to the teaching of Jesus leading up? And again, these are all words that predominantly talk about the destruction of Jerusalem that we're going to look at here together, all right? So here he begins by talking about there's going to be difficulties for everyone. So look at verse 8. He says this, watch out that you're not deceived. For many will come in my name claiming I am he and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be affrightened. These things must happen first, but the end will come, not come right away. And then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, pestilence in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. I mean, you read those words and it's like, that sounds like today a little bit, doesn't it? I mean, it's, it's like some of this stuff has been going on since the beginning of time, but it's <clears throat> this picture of great turmoil and, and stress for everybody, right? But again, it's like Jesus is saying, this stuff is going to happen, but don't be deceived. People coming along and saying, well, Jesus is going to return on this date, or Jerusalem is going to be destroyed on this date. They don't know. Don't be frightened by all of these things. I like the word pestilence being in there. Reminding me of the last year, year. Didn't say COVID, but it gives, you know, everybody's been asking, is Jesus going to come back because of all this stuff occurring? And G Jesus basically says here, look, the end is not yet to come. At least the destruction of Jerusalem there. Then there's also going to be difficulties for the disciples. This starts getting a little more specific to you and to me. Verse 12, but before all this, okay, rumors People trying to lead you astray, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or to contradict. See, it wasn't that long after Jesus spoke these words that they began to come true for those disciples. I mean, persecution, you read about persecution of the early Christians starting early in the book of Acts. And, and, um, in fact, the very first persecution began in Acts chapter 4. Here's what Luke writes in Acts. He says, they were greatly disturbed. So now the they of this is the religious leaders, the um, Pharisees, 
says, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. In other words, this this is not that long after Jesus has gone up to heaven. Persecution already is happening to each one of them simply because they're telling about Jesus Christ. And you read throughout the book of Acts and you see again and again and again, Peter and John, James, um, Stephen, I mean, people being persecuted and losing their life all because of Jesus Christ. Jesus said this stuff is coming, but the key of this is found in verse 13. Look what he says there in verse 13. And you, so you will bear testimony to me. You will bear testimony to me. That word testimony is this idea of evidence. It's like you will give evidence to me, Jesus is saying. When you're put in a place in which you're persecuted and when you come face to face with a, you know, somebody who's high up or just somebody who's like you, the purpose of persecution is to open the door for us to tell about Jesus. Not to complain and whine that our rights are being taken away. Uh, not to you know, say, oh, woe is me, but the purpose of persecution. And the issue with this is I think we misunderstand what real persecution is like in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you may have experienced that. I don't know. But you know what? I've never had my life threatened because I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I've never had my possessions taken away or my family taken from me and sold or killed. I've never even considered having to be beheaded. There are people in this world that truly understand what it's like to face this kind of persecution. But persecution puts us in a place to give witness for Jesus. In fact, if you read in the, God, uh, the book of Acts, you see Peter, who is a fisherman, the guy is not eloquent at all. He was good at putting his foot in his mouth. He stood before the religious leaders, and they were so impressed by how he presented his argument to them. They were like, this guy surely has been with Jesus. That didn't come from Peter. That came from Jesus. And when we find ourselves truly persecuted, and it makes me really, this is a personal reflection, I wonder, do I really live the way God wants me to live, Jesus wants me to live? Is that, or if I really did like they did in that day, would I face persecution? In other words, is there something about the way I choose to live my life that's not really about me receiving persecution? I don't know. That's just something I periodically wrestle with. But it's like Jesus is saying to them, in fact, there's even more that's going to occur. He goes on there in verse 16. He says, you will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. I mean, it's, some of you have possibly faced this because you chose to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Some of your family turned their back on you or they made fun of you. He said, that's just ridiculous that you would believe that, you know, or you're just a, you know, a religious freak or something like that. I mean, in that day, imagine growing up in a huge Jewish household and you suddenly 
realized, you know what? Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior of my sins. I, and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. When you go and tell your family, the likelihood of them still being your family after that is about this much. Because it meant to be ostracized. It meant to lose your family. And then, did you notice, it, it almost feels like Jesus is contradicting himself here. Because he says there, he goes, um, he talks about the fact that you're going to you know, be persecuted and some of you will be put to death in verse 18, but not a hair of your head will perish. How is that? I mean, I guess if you don't have any hair on your head, then you know, that helps you in that regard. But it's like, that's not what he's talking about there. It's, it, it's a confusing thing except to understand what life is Jesus really concerned about? I mean, don't get me wrong. Jesus wants our life to be blessed. He promises that. But what's the whole gist of this? It's like there is so much more to this life. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has in mind for those who love Him. What This, this life is a pale, insignificant nothing compared to the real life, spiritual life, life now and life forever. The life that Jesus is talking about here that no one can harm is this, that um, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, nobody can touch that. Nobody can, even if my life is lost, it's real life that Jesus Christ is talking about. But then he moves on to the most difficult thing probably for this entire group of people, which is the prophecy about the destruction of Jerusalem. So verse 20, he begins here. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. So he's getting a little more specific here. Then let those who are in Judea, that's the region where Jerusalem is located, flee to the mountains. Let those in the city, okay, now he's getting more specific, get out and let those in the country not enter the city, for this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written, how dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. I mean, Jesus is describing something that's not that far down the road. That is horrendous. So about AD 66... Um, a group of Jewish zealots overthrew, overtook a garrison in Jerusalem, a Roman garrison, drove them out, took over the city. A couple of different times, um, Rome tried to get rid of them, pushed them out, but never su- could succeed. And so finally in AD 70, the spring of AD 70, General Titus of Rome literally surrounded the entire city of Rome and laid siege to it. And by that fall... He had, according to Josephus, over a million Jews died in that conflict. A hundred thousand of them were led off as prisoners. And they sacked the city of Jerusalem and they literally, stone by stone, almost tore the entire temple down. The very words that Jesus said would actually come true. But what's challenging to me is this, why would God so punish the nation of Israel. 
Why would he so punish? By destroying the temple, why would he do that? Jesus actually made this prediction more than one time. And if you go back to Luke chapter 19 and verse 44, Jesus is prophesying again. He says, they, this is talking about the Romans, will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. You, you didn't recognize Jesus as being the Savior of the world, as the Messiah, the one that to a Jew had been prophesied since the time that they were so very young. You did not write. In other words, this was God's judgment against the nation of Israel for rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. You, you see how awful this is. This is nothing in comparison to the ultimate judgment of God against those who choose to, in the same way, reject Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. And there's a lot of, a lot of people in our culture that have a real struggle with seeing God as being the one to have the authority to be able to condemn us for unrighteousness, right? In fact, there's some Christians who kind of question God's, you know, authority to be able to do that. But you look at the warning that God is giving here, you, you look at the judgment against sin, it proves just how, how God sees unrighteousness in such a terrible way, but also how God gave to all of us, the entire world, the solution for our sin, which is Jesus Christ Himself. And so to reject Jesus as our Lord and Savior, to reject Him as the only way of salvation to heaven, it's to find ourselves in the wrong side of judgment that will come. And Jesus is giving us this very clear warning because Jesus is saying, look, you and I, we need to get our priorities straight. Now, Jerusalem has been destroyed, right? And so we'll talk more next week about the end to come. But what, what we see in this is still, it's a warning to all of us, right? to allow these words of Jesus not to bring fear to us, that's what Jesus doesn't want, not to follow the wrong kind of people, but to recognize that nothing can separate us from the love of God who's in Christ Jesus our Lord when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, that we can be strong in the face of some very difficult things that Jesus says will be coming to those of us who live for Him. It's, it's looking at today in this eternal perspective and learning that we can gain strength because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so the question we need to wrestle with this is this, am I putting my trust in the eternal or am I putting my trust in the temporary? I'm inside a storage unit and as we're talking about end times, I felt like this was a really good place to film because of the fact that sometimes we tend to get so focused on things and we start focused on storing our treasures here instead of our treasures in heaven and storage units are filled with just stuff that you can sit there for years and we never look at it again and we just but we can't get rid of it we need it we've got to have it and trust me i understand the things in our lives that we don't want to get rid of i have a blanket that somebody um, crocheted for me that's in the shape of a sunflower and that is so treasured by me. I have these 
bears that were made by somebody for me for um, from my grandpa's shirts and after he passed away and that's so important to me and I would just be heartbroken if I lost either of those things but at the end of the day they're still just things so where are you storing your treasures are you storing them in heaven or are you storing them like this storage unit filled with stuff and junk that really at the end of the day is that going to bring you joy? Is it going to bring you peace? Is it going to bring you hope? Where are you storing your treasures? Because we don't know. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised next year. And I just really encourage you to really evaluate where you're putting your hope and your joy from. So Jesus' words encourage us to gain strength from trusting in the eternal, from trusting in God. And you know how we show our trust? We show our trust by being willing to take the priorities that we have, March Madness, spending money on the wrong thing, whatever it is for you, and we say, you know what, God, I want to live life by your priorities. That's how we show trust in God. And so my, my encouragement to all of us is to take some time over the next few days, maybe through this week, and just ask yourself the question, are the priorities that I have a placed in my life, that I haven't chosen in my life, are those priorities in line with the priorities God wants us to have? It's such a valuable thing to do. Just wrestle with it. What are my priorities? Do they really line up with the priorities of Jesus Christ? But imagine this. Imagine you, um, you go to work tomorrow. And, you know, you're in your cubby or you're in your office or something, and that person comes by that just always makes you crazy, right? And you think about, you know what, what's most important here? And it allows you to have a measure of patience with that particular person. Or maybe, you know, you're spending time in the evening with your family and typically maybe you'd go back to the laptop or you would go dig into some TV show or something, but rather than do that, imagine that you would say, you know what, my family is such a priority and you choose to take time to spend with them. Maybe it has to do with how you run your business. And you see that, you know what, this is a tool in God's hand. Uh, you know, I know it's not going to last forever. Someday it won't be here. Maybe it's, you know, in regard to how you spend your money. But imagine if we took time, all of us, to just reevaluate our priorities and we say, God, I want to live my life the way you want me to live it. The most important decision today is if you have never said yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that today would be the day. That you would say, I'm putting my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I'm going to confess his name before this group of people. I'm going to invite Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I'm going to be baptized into Jesus Christ. I'm going to put on Christ. I'm going to, you know, as we talked about last week, those clothes, we're to, to say today is the day that I want to do that. And if this is a decision you need to make, I would love to be able to talk to you about that. And so as we worship here in a moment, I just pray that we can honor Jesus Christ and put him first.